The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, Merry Christmas to everyone. We are enjoying the celebration of God's love and the story of Christmas that God came to us uh, to give us life. And so we're going to look together at that first Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. It is the traditional place in the scripture where it gives us this first Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 20. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're a part of our worship this morning. I want to say Merry Christmas to you as well, and I pray God's blessings on you as you join us in this worship moment. We're going to his word to hear from God. So let's look together at Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, and I'll read all the way to verse 20. This is what the word of God says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, And pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. It's Christmas time, and so all the great Christmas movies are being played out on television. And one of my favorite Christmas movies is the 1983 film A Christmas Story. It's the story of little Ralphie. Right, who wants something for Christmas. He's longing for just one thing at Christmas. All he wants, and I need to get this right, all he wants is an official Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. <laughs> that, that line, official Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time, that one line is uttered almost 30 times throughout the movie, usually followed with what? You'll shoot your eye out, right? You'll shoot your eye out. Yes, the highly dreaded. This, this movie works because it is a Christmas story 
in a deeper sense. It is a story that builds and builds and builds and builds with the anticipation of Ralphie getting what he's longed for on that Christmas day. And then that anticipation is fulfilled. It is a story of anticipation and fulfillment. Anticipation and fulfillment. That's the Christmas story. The people for centuries had been waiting, longing for the Messiah who would come to save them from the things of this world. The Messiah who would come to change life forever. You see, that first Christmas story that we just read is a story about anticipation and fulfillment. It's the story of the king of the universe who would come to earth in the form of a little baby lying in a manger. This is an unusual story from the very beginning, if you think about it. From the start, for instance, there are angels everywhere. Angels are appearing and angels are talking all the time in this story. So the angel appears to Zechariah, an angel appears to Joseph, an angel appears to Mary, and angels appear to the shepherds extending their flocks at night. There are angels all over this story. This baby, when he came, needed a, 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 a lot of pre-work. He needed a, a lot of ground, groundwork before he got here. He needed a lot of announcing and a lot of explaining. Because you see, if, they had not, if the angels had not come to explain, they might have missed it. Because who would have thought that the God of the universe, the king, the maker of all things, who would have thought that he would have come in the little form of a baby? You see, they had been anticipating and anticipating and anticipating the coming of the king, but not as a little baby. He comes as a little baby. This stuff is, you know, not exactly what we thought it was going to be. Truth is stranger than fiction, isn't it? You can't make this stuff up. So this morning what I want to do is I want to focus on one important idea. I, I've, I've preached from this passage. I've, I've, I've preached now for 30 Christmases, okay? 30 Christmases, which means I've taken a lot of runs at Luke chapter 2. You'd think I'd be better at it by now, but how many different ways can you preach Luke chapter 2 after 30 Christmases? But this Christmas I thought we would get into the minds and the hearts of the characters in the story And let them tell us what they want to tell us about that first Christmas uh, morning. And I wanted to do it in the framework of what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. I asked you to live with three questions throughout the Christmas season leading all the way up to Christmas. The first question I asked you to live with is, what difference does Jesus make in your life? The second question, what great struggle are you wrestling with today? And the third question uh, is, uh, what what great joy have you experienced lately? And I had, I had real hope for these questions. I, I, I hope that as you reflected on these questions, some things would begin to happen. For instance, in the first question, my, 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 actually, my great hope was that you would identify the value that Jesus brings to your life. Most of us have lived with Jesus for so long, day in and day out, that he's become, uh, he's become normalized and we forget the great value that he brings to our lives. We do this with our loved ones all the time. We, we take them for granted and we forget the value they bring to our lives. So I wanted you to reflect on the value that Jesus brings every day to your life. The second question, what great struggle are you fighting with or battling with today? My hope is that you would find strength and, and, and courage and hope for whatever battle it is that you are enduring. Every person you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing of. 
So be kind, be generous, be loving, be forgiving. And that means for yourself too and the battle that you're fighting. And the third question, what joy have you experienced? My hope was that you would be encouraged by the joy that is often hidden in the smallest of moments. The joy that is often hidden in the small things. Like, like the way my granddaughter's eyes light up every time she sees a puppy. The joy that is hidden in the small moments of life. That was my hope. So, the first Christmas morning, there is Jesus, and there is a struggle. The struggle is in, internal, but there is a struggle, um, and there is great joy. We see all three in the Christmas story, Jesus and struggle and joy. Now, the first thing I want to say before I, I, I want to preface everything else by saying this, what actually happened on that Christmas morning, not what, not what the characters thought was happening, but what we now know with 2,000 years hindsight, we understand now what was happening that first Christmas morning. What was happening that first Christmas morning is that God was breaking into the world. God was breaking into our world in the form of a little tiny baby lying in a manger. That's what we know to be true with the advantage of 2,000 years of hindsight. But what about the characters in the story? What did they think? What is it that they were experiencing? And can that experience offer us some things for our Christmas season? That's what I want to look at. So, we'll start with Joseph. What was Joseph thinking on that morning when the baby is born? Well, if Joseph was anything like me or most men, he was thinking, I sure hope I don't blow this. This is, this is a big responsibility, right? Remember your firstborn? I, I, I hope I can do this, right? Now, Joseph, in his culture, in his day, would have had two primary responsibilities as the father. His two primary responsibilities really correlating with two periods of Jesus' life, of the baby's life. The first 12 years and then the second 12 years, Joseph had two different responsibilities correlating to those two sections of his life. The first 12 years, Joseph's primary responsibility would have been to provide. To provide for the child all the basics that the child needed, right? Uh, uh, Food and shelter and water and clothing. The basics just to survive. Joseph's job was to provide those things for the first 12 years he had to provide. And I'll remind you, he had to do that in a day when it wasn't that easy to provide these things. There were no Kroger's right around the corner. He had to provide these things in a day where to provide food, you had to grow it yourself. Or if you wanted some kind of protein, you had to go out and shoot it yourself or raise it yourself. He was providing in a day when it wasn't that easy to provide. And he was providing in a culture that was oppressed by the Roman Empire that made it even more difficult to provide. So the first, the first great responsibility Joseph is thinking about, I've got to provide. I have to provide. Now the second half of that first quarter, of Jesus, quarter century of Jesus' life, Joseph's responsibility shifted from that of sole provider to also mentoring. Mentoring the young boy in, in the family business and reaffirming 
the ways of the Lord. Now, the first 12 years, Jesus would have learned most about his faith from his mother, or if he was lucky, some village rabbi. Joseph's primary job was to provide. Mother's primary job was religious education and the things in the home. And so he would have learned from Mary, and then Joseph would have taken over at age 12 to reaffirm that faith. Now, Matthew tells us in his gospel that Joseph was a man who was, uh, how does Matthew put it? He was uh, faithful to the law. That's what Matthew says of Joseph. He was faithful to the law, which is a euphemism for he was a deeply spiritual man. He was one who knew the Old Testament scriptures and to the best of his ability tried to live those out. So Joseph's job then is to provide, to mentor, to, to encourage, to pull the best out of Jesus. What we call that in the Christian church We call that discipleship. Joseph's primary job, now let this sink in, his primary job was to disciple the Son of God. Talk about pressure, right? His main job was to disciple little Jesus in the ways of the faith, in the ways of the world, to disciple him. And this is a work that is still going on. That is a work that is still important in our day and time, is to disciple, to take people under your wing and to, to disciple them. So my question is, what is your responsibility? What is my responsibility? But to provide and to disciple where, where the, the, the Christian work is always just one generation away from extinction, if there are not those who will stand up and take the mantle and say, I will take on the responsibility to provide and to disciple. One in five churches in the United States right now are closing this do- their doors. Out of the pandemic, 20% of all churches in the United States are closing their doors permanently. Permanently. Most of them, after they were closed because of the restrictions, never reopened. One in five. That's a sobering thought. The idea that, that this Christian faith that we so love, that we so want others to know, this, this salvation experience, it's that, that in, in our country, at least in our context, it is always just one generation away from extinction. All it takes is one generation to refuse to stand and carry it forward for it to be extinct in our society, in our culture as we know it. This is a sobering thought. I, I suspect that, there, that a future generation or future generations after we are all in this room dead and gone, that future generations might just look back at the history of Christianity in our country. They might look back at this critical moment coming out of this pandemic. They might look back at, at how we stepped up to the responsibility. They might look back to this moment and say to us, thank you. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for continuing to disciple, continuing to love, continue to share Jesus. Thank you for preserving this faith in our world. Now, you understand, the, the gospel is not going to die. I'm talking about right here where we live in our world. It's our responsibility. Joseph was the silent man of Christmas. Christmas. He, 
He never said one single word. There's not one single word recorded from the lips of Joseph in the entire narrative. People are usually surprised when I say that. They go to the Bible and say, surely he said something. No, he doesn't say anything. He's the silent man of Christmas, and yet he is the responsible man of Christmas. He is the one character among the characters who stood up and took responsibility. Matthew tells us that Joseph was thinking about quietly divorcing Mary when she came up pregnant because he knew that the baby was not his and he wanted to do the right thing. And the right thing, according to the Mosaic law, would have been for him to quietly divorce her. But the angel comes to him and explains, this is what is happening. And Joseph quietly just obeys. He takes responsibility for the baby. In some ways, Joseph saves Christmas simply by taking responsibility. So, what will you do? God had something for Joseph to do, and Joseph says yes. I had a buddy of mine from high school. We ran track together, and last year... um, he had a heart attack, uh, one of those what they typically call a widowmaker because there were no signs, no indication, you know, plaque is just silently building up with all the tacos and the barbecue and all that good stuff, and then suddenly just you, you drop dead. And this, this is what happened to him, except he didn't, he didn't die. He survived the heart attack. Somehow, miraculously, he survived the widowmaker, and he survived the heart attack, and he is now, it seems, fully recovered. And uh, I was um, talking to him in, at the reunion, and I told him, you know, I said, God obviously has something left for you to do. I believe that with all my heart. God has something left for you to do. But you don't have to wait for the heart attack to understand that. You woke up this morning, didn't you? I assume all, everyone in the room, how many of you woke up this morning? Some of you can't raise your hands, I understand. I didn't say you, don't, you feel like you woke up. You woke up. You're alive. Which means God has something left for you to do. So will you, like Joseph in the Christmas story, take responsibility and obey? Even when he had no idea why God was doing this, he had no idea why God chose him to do this, but still... He takes responsibility. That's Joseph. Now, what about the shepherds? The shepherds are interesting in the story. The shepherds, as you know, were the lowliest of all professions. They were the poorest of the poor, the lowliest of the low. The shepherds were on the very bottom rung of the, of the corporate ladder. Shepherds were considered unclean in most social situations in first century Judaism. No one, to, no one necessarily wanted to be around shepherds. They kind of smelled like sheep, and they... They were considered unclean. Um, If you were a shepherd, if that was your profession, one of two things had happened. Either it was the family business and all you knew to do, or you had pretty much failed at everything else and were uh, at your last uh, hope, right, was to be a shepherd. You had failed at everything else. The only thing lower than being a shepherd in first century Judaism was being a pig farmer. See the story of the prodigal son, right? But they were shepherds. They were the lowliest of the low. And the angels come to them. So what were they thinking? 
Well, I think in the moment in their minds, they must have been so filled with awe. It says they were terrified. They were awestruck. They were amazed. They They were so amazed and awestruck in the moment and maybe scared in the moment. They probably weren't thinking much. The adrenaline is running and your mind kind of shuts down and you just go on automatic pilot. So they just ran into town, found the baby, saw the baby, left rejoicing. In the moment, they probably weren't thinking too much. But later, years later, as they reflected back on that moment, as they reflected back on that night, they must have been thinking, why did the angels come to us? Why us? I mean, what can we do? We're just lowly shepherds. If the angels had gone to the royal palace to announce to the king that the Messiah had been born, the king could have issued a royal decree that would have gone throughout the entire land and everyone in the entire kingdom would have been notified that the Messiah had been born. But the angels didn't do that. They didn't go to the royal palace. They went to the shepherds out in the field, out in the countryside, small village, Bethlehem. Maybe 200 people. Zip code zero, 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 zero. Nowhere. Why did the angels do that? That must be what the, what the shepherds are thinking. Why did they come to us? And what can, angel, what can shepherds do? Well, they did what they could, didn't they? They did what they could. They, uh, they went about to their friends, anyone who would listen to them, and they told them. But not a lot of people listened to shepherds. They were considered untrustworthy. So the shepherds did what they could. And I think a lot of times we, um, we live in the same place that the shepherds live. We do, most of us. We feel overwhelmed by the problems, the struggles. We feel, we feel so small compared to the massive problems. We look at what is going on in our world. We look at what's going on in our country, what is going on in our state, what's going on in our city. The battles, the polarization, the anger, the strife. And we feel like, what can I do? I'm just a one person. I'm just a shepherd. Why come to me with these problems? I mean, it feels and seems overwhelming. We live daily, I think, where the shepherds live. Even if you're not worried about the, your country or your state or your city, even if you've stuck your head in the sand with all those things, it's, it's the same with your family, with your, at work or, or, or with your children or, or with your marriage. Things can seem, can seem overwhelming. And the temptation is to think, what can I do? What can I do? I'm a shepherd. A couple of years ago, I was... Uh, Priscilla and I were vacationing in South Padre Island, and um, I used to pastor down in that area, down in McAllen, South Texas. So we have friends there. We have friends um, who have condos there. That's, they're our really, really good friends. We've stayed in touch with them. And so uh, we were using one of the condos of one of our former church members and just enjoying South Padre Island. And we connected, reconnected with a family who had who were attending that church when I was pastoring. They're good friends. He was in education. She was in business. Uh, they have two, two wonderful children, and we wanted to reconnect with them. So they came out to the island, and we had dinner together out at the island. It was just a really great time of getting... We love this family. This, the, 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 the dad, the husband, he's, uh, he was in education. He has an amazing story. He was raised in the valley in a 
poor family, uh, many children, um, um, very difficult life growing up with, with making it, but the family uh, was just an amazing family. And he's an amazing success story. He got his degree, was a teacher, then was in administration. And then we go back and visit, and he's become the uh, superintendent of the Harlingen School District, from teacher all the way to superintendent of schools. And just an amazing, doing, has done an amazing job there. He's now since retired. But when I, when I was talking to him several years back, he was the superintendent of Harlingen Schools, an amazing person, amazing leader, and uh, an amazing love for the kids. So we were catching up, reflecting, talking about church, talking about the kids, talking about life. He was talking about work, and he started talking about what he was doing in the schools. And, and he just, at one point, just said with this overwhelming sense of heaviness, it's just, he says, it's just overwhelming. There's so many kids, so many problems, so many struggles. I just feel overwhelmed all the time. What can I do? And I said to him, I said something that a pastor had told me once. In pastoring, because it can feel overwhelming. So many people, so many struggles, so many problems, so many spiritual pitfalls. Uh, well, what can I do? It just seems overwhelming sometimes, right? And so I, this pastor told me something I'll never forget. He said, well, Ellis, you do for the one standing in front of you what you wish you could do for everyone, right? So I told him that. I said, you do for the child standing in front of you what you wish you could do for every child, his eyes lit up. He said, I'm going to steal that from you, can I? I said, sure, I stole it from someone else. So, You do for the person in front of you what you wish you could do for everyone. The shepherds couldn't tell the whole world. They didn't have that capacity. So they told the people they knew. They did for the one in front of them what they wished they could do for everyone. And this is our work in 2022, as you do for the one who lives next door to you what you wish you could do for everyone, you share with them the saving love of Jesus. You give them that love. That was the shepherds. And then there's Mary. Mary, dear Mary. This is the most difficult one for me because there is something so mysterious, so incomprehensible about giving birth, something I will never fully understand or appreciate for obvious reasons. I've never given birth. Mary is the only person in human history who could fully understand and experience the miracle of that first Christmas morning because she gave birth to a little baby boy. She gave birth to this little baby boy. And not only that, that, that in itself is a miracle, childbirth, right? Childbirth in itself is a miracle. But not only that, she gave birth to a little baby boy in a way that no woman had ever given birth before or since, right? She gave birth to a little baby boy and she was a virgin. Now, if talk about mystery, so what was Mary thinking in that moment? (laughs) I have no idea what she was thinking. I mean, I literally have no idea. I don't know what my own wife is thinking half the time. I have no idea what Mary was thinking. It's a mystery. It's a deep and profound mystery. Mystery. In fact, I think the story honors the mystery. It honors that mystery of not knowing. Are we okay with not knowing? We have a difficult time in modernity with not knowing. But the text honors the mystery when it says this in verse 19 of Mary. It says, but Mary 
treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things. All what things? All the things that were happening on that day. The birth, the angels, the shepherds. She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She took it all in and stored it away in her heart, which to me tells me that Mary, of all the characters in the, in the Christmas story, Mary is the one who was most present in the moment. She was present to that moment. She didn't say anything, but she, she took it all in and she pondered it in her heart to recognize the significance of a moment. It's a very important thing to do every once in a while to to understand the significance of a moment. Don't try to analyze it. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to overthink it, some of you. Just take it in and recognize it for what it is. This mysterious and glorious and amazing and over-the-top wonderful moment and just be present to it. Uh, I I remember the day my firstborn was born, Gabe, my son. And uh, as most of you do, you you don't forget this moment, right? And so it was, um, Priscilla had been in uh, labor uh, for like 48 hours. She never lets us forget. And, And it was a tough one. And so uh, we finally went to the hospital, and they told her, "Well, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not really there yet." But they were going to induce; they were going to do some things, right? And then the baby, uh, uh, what became kind of distressed. There was problems, and they were worried. Uh, the heartbeat was racing, and things were happening. And they said, we, "We've got to take the baby now." We, we were in there. I was in the room, we're ready. Uh, we've got to take her now. And they came in fast, and they wheeled wheeled her out, and I'm stuck there, and the nurse said to me, put on these scrubs, go in there, but if you faint, we're kicking you to the side because she's what's important, right? Totally get it, right? So I think, don't faint, don't faint, don't faint. So I put on the scrubs, and I go into the room, and they're already starting to work on her, and uh, I remember thinking, don't forget this moment. Don't, don't forget this moment. Don't forget what you're feeling, what you're thinking. I remember, I remember thinking in that moment, this will be a moment I will remember the rest of my life. I want to live it. I want to embrace it. I want to experience it in its fullness. And when they pulled the baby out, I experienced it. Seeing my son for the first time. There are those moments if you're not careful, you'll miss them. My father had been battling cancer for about four years. He actually had pancreatic cancer. They caught it very early. We were very lucky uh, because that usually doesn't work out. And so, but he, um, he had been battling cancer for about four years, <clears throat> but he was doing well. And it was his <clears throat> 85th birthday. We wanted to throw a big party for him, but, <clears throat> but he didn't feel up to it. And my dad is an introvert, was an introvert. He didn't really like big parties for him anyway. So he didn't want to party. So I was thinking I'm going to go down that weekend then and just visit him for the weekend. And um, 
but things started happening and you know how it is with pastoring. Well, maybe you don't, but it's, things start happening and there are weddings and there are funerals and, and there were things happening. And I'm telling Priscilla, I don't, I don't think I can go down this weekend. I've got, there's just too much. I've got to preach on Sunday. It's going to be a quick trip. I just don't know if I can go. And Priscilla looked at me and said, you're going down to Houston to see your dad. It's his birthday. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So she had that tone, right? And so I, I, I obeyed and I went down, spent the weekend with my dad. We left on Saturday. Um, and this is a routine we have when we leave, uh, when I'm leaving, we go out and he has a port uh, and, uh, with, for the cars and there's a, this big long driveway. My dad built a big house on an acre of land set off the street. So there's a long concrete driveway that goes all the way to the street. There's a big ditch. And so I come out there into the port and to get to my car, usually my mom and dad would follow me out there. This is the routine. My mom has her camera. Still one of those little cameras, the, um, the, uh, kind that you, the throwaway. Yeah. She still has a flip phone, so see, so she has a throwaway camera, and she's always taking pictures. I've never seen any of these pictures. <laughs> I don't know that she develops them, but she takes them. And so she's take, usually taking pictures of us, and my mom will hug me, my dad will hug me, and we'll leave. That's the routine. But this time, for some reason, I don't remember why my mom didn't come out. <clears throat> she may have been busy or something and not feeling well. She didn't come out. It was just my dad who came out with me. We go to the car, and I've got everything packed away, and we hug, as we always do, and um, um, he always pulls away first on our hugs, always. But this time, he didn't. This time, I pulled away first. And I realized it, so I went back in to continue the hug, and he held me longer than he'd ever held me before with that hug. And he said, I love you, and I said, I love you, and I left. I didn't think anything of it. And two weeks later, he was dead. And it was our last hug. And I wish I would have known. Maybe he did. Maybe that's why I pulled away first. Maybe that's why he held on longer. Maybe he did know that it was the last hug. And he wanted to experience it in its fullest. And I just wish I had known. Right? I wish I had known so that I could have experienced it that way too. Be careful. Be careful because sometimes those moments are hidden. And the Christmas story that Mary would want to tell you is don't miss the moment. Don't miss it. Christmas is here. God has come to earth. Baby Jesus is born. It's Christmas. Don't miss the moment. Amen? Father, we thank you for loving us so much, for giving us so much. You never stop giving. We like to give at Christmas, but but our love for giving comes from experiencing your love. And so we thank you for your love, your grace, and your goodness. And we pray that you would just go with us. Oh, Father, go with us this week. All the way leading up to Christmas. Help us to have a wonderful, glorious celebration of your love. Help us to celebrate you. Help us to celebrate family. Help us to live this moment to its fullest. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.